Chapter Two of Clover. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ellie. Clover by Susan Coolidge. Chapter Two: The Day of Happy Letters. The arrival of the morning boat with letters and newspapers from the east was the great event of the day in Burnet. It was due at eleven o'clock, and everybody, consciously or unconsciously, was on the lookout for it. The gentlemen were at the office bright and early, and stood chatting with each other and fingering the keys of their little drawers, till the rattle of the shutter announced that the mail was distributed. The wives and daughters at home, meanwhile, were equally in a state of expectation, and whatever they might be doing kept ears and eyes on the alert for the step on the gravel and the click of the latch which betokened the arrival of the family newsbringer. Doctors cannot command their time like other people, and Dr. Carr was often detained by his patients, and made late for the mail. So it was all the pleasanter surprise when on the great day of the cake-baking he came in earlier than usual, with his hands quite full of letters and parcels. All the girls made a rush for him at once, but he fended them off with an elbow, while with teasing slowness he read the addresses on the envelopes. Miss Carr, Miss Carr, Miss Catherine Carr, Miss Carr again. Four for you, Katie. Dr. P. Carr, a bill in the newspaper, I perceive. All that an old country doctor with a daughter about to be married ought to expect, I suppose. Miss Clover E. Carr, one for the confidant in white linen. Here, take it, Clovy. Miss Carr again. Katie, you have the lion's share. Miss Joanna Carr, in the unmistakable handwriting of Miss Inches. Miss Catherine Carr, care Dr. Carr. That looks like a wedding present, Katie. Miss Elsie Carr, says his hand, I should say. Miss Carr once more. From the conquering hero, judging from the postmark. Dr. Carr, another newspaper. And, hello, one more for Miss Carr. Well, children, I hope for once you are satisfied with the amount of your correspondence. My arm fairly aches with the weight of it. I hope the letters are not so heavy inside as out. I'm quite satisfied, Papa. Thank you, said Katie, looking up with a happy smile from Ned's letter, which she had torn open first of all. Are you going, dear? She laid her packages down to help him on with his coat. Katie never forgot her father. Yes, I'm going. Time and rheumatism wait for no man. You can tell me your news when I come back. It is not fair to peep into love letters, so I will only say of Ned's that it was very long, very entertaining, Katie thought, and contained the pleasant information that Nakutish was to sail four days after it was posted, and would reach New York a week sooner than anyone had dared to hope. The letter contained several other things as well, which showed Katie how continually she had been in his thoughts. A painting on rice paper, a dried flower or two, a couple of little pen-and-ink sketches of the harbor of Santa Lucia and the shipping, and a small cravat of an odd convent lace, folded very flat and smooth. Altogether it was a delightful letter, and Katie read it as it were in leaps, her eyes catching on the salient points, and leaving the details to be dwelt upon when she should be alone. This done, she thrust the letter into her pocket and proceeded to examine the others. The first was in Cousin Helen's clear, beautiful handwriting. Dear Katie, if anyone had told us ten years ago that in this particular year of grace you would be getting ready to be married and I preparing to come to your wedding, I think we should have listened with some incredulity as to an agreeable fairy tale which could not possibly come true. We didn't look much like it, did we? You in your big chair and I on my sofa. Yet here we are. When your letter first reached me, it seemed a sort of impossible thing that I should accept your invitation, but the more I thought about it, the more I felt as if I must. And now things seem to be working round to that end quite marvellously. I have had a good winter, but the doctor wishes me to try the experiment of the water-cure again, which benefited me so much the summer of your accident. 
This brings me in your direction, and I don't see why I might not come a little earlier than otherwise I should, and have the great pleasure of seeing your merit and making acquaintance with Lieutenant Washington. That is, if you are sure that to have at so busy a time a guest, who, like the Queen of Spain, has the disadvantage of being without legs, will not be more care than enjoyment. Think seriously over this point, and don't send for me unless you are certain. Meanwhile, I am making ready. Alex, Emma, and little Helen, who is a pretty big Helen now, are to be my escorts as far as Buffalo on their way to Niagara. After that is all plain sailing, and Jane Carter and I can manage very well for ourselves. It seems like a dream to think that I may see you all so soon, but it is such a pleasant one that I would not wake up on any account. I have a little gift which I shall bring you myself, my Katie, but I have a fancy also that you shall wear some trifling things on your wedding day which comes from me, so for fear of being forestalled, I will say now, please don't buy any stockings for the occasion, but wear the bear which go with this, for the sake of your loving cousin Helen. These must be they, cried Elsie, pouncing on one of the little packages. May I cut the string, Katie? Permission was granted, and Elsie cut the string. It was indeed a pair of beautiful white silk stockings, embroidered in an open pattern, and far finer than anything which Katie would have thought of choosing for herself. Don't they look exactly like Cousin Helen? she said, fondling them. Her things are always choicier and prettier than anybody's else, somehow. I can't think how she does it, when she never by any chance goes into a shop. Who can this be from, I wonder? This was the second little package. It proved to contain a small volume bound in white and gold, entitled Advice to Brides. On the fly-leaf appeared this inscription. To Catherine Carr, on the occasion of her approaching bridal, from her affectionate teacher, Marian Nipson. 1 Timothy 2, 11. Clover at once ran to fetch a testament that she might verify the quotation, and announced with a shriek of laughter that it was. Let the woman learn in silence, with all subjection, while Katie, much diverted, read extracts casually selected from the work, such as, A wife should receive her husband's degree without cavil or question, remembering that the husband is the head of the wife, and that in all matters of dispute his opinion naturally and scripturally outweighs her own. Or, a soft answer turns away wrath. If your husband comes home fretted and impatient, do not answer him sharply, but soothe him with gentle words and caresses. Strict attention to the minor details of domestic management will often avail to secure peace. And again, keep in mind the epitaph raised in honor of an exemplary wife of the last century. She never banged the door. Qualify yourself for a similar testimonial. Tante never does bang doors, remarked Amy had come in just as this last elegant extract was being read. No, that's true, she doesn't, said Clover. Her prevailing vice is to leave them open. I like the truth about a good dinner availing a secure place, and the advice to caress your bear when he's at his crossest. Ned never does issue degrees, though, I fancy. And on the whole, Katie, I don't believe Mrs. Nipson's present is going to be any particular comfort in your future trials. Do read something else to take the taste out of our mouths. We will listen in all subjection. Katie was already deep in a long epistle from Rose. This is too delicious, she said. Do listen. And she began again at the beginning. My sweetest of all old sweets, come to your wedding? Of course I shall. It would never seem to me to have any legal sanction whatever if I were not there to add my blessing. Let me know which day early in June it is to be, that I may make ready. Deniston will fetch us on, and by a special piece of good luck a man in Chicago whose name I shall always bless if only I can remember what it is, has been instigated by a mutual good angel to want him on business just about that time, so that he would have to go west anyway, and would rather have me along than not, and is perfectly resigned to his fate. 
I mean to come three days before and stay three days after the wedding, if I may, and altogether it is going to be a lark of larks. Little Rose can talk quite fluently now, and almost read. That is, she knows six letters of a picture alphabet. She composes poems also. The other day she suddenly announced, Mama, I've made up a sort of a im. May I say it to you? I naturally consented, and this was the im. Jump in the parlor, jump in the hall. God made us all. Now did you ever hear of anything quite so dear as that for a baby only three years and five months old? I tell you, she's a wonder. You will all adore her, Clover particularly. Oh, my dear little Clover, to think I'm going to see her. I met both Ellen Gray and Esther Dearborn the other day. And where do you think it was? At Mary Silver's wedding. Yes, she's actually married to the Reverend Charles Playfair Strossers and settled in a little parsonage somewhere in the Hosaic Tunnel, or near it and already immersed in duties. I can't think what arguments he used to screw her up to the rash act, but there she is. It wasn't exactly what one would call a cheerful wedding. All the connection took it very seriously, and Mary's uncle, who married her, preached quite a lengthy funeral discourse to the young couple, and got them nicely ready for death, burial, and the next world, before he would consent to unite them for this. He was a solemn-looking old person, who had been a missionary and had laid away three dear wives in foreign lands, as he confided to me afterward over a plate of ice cream. He seemed to me to be taking notice as they say of babies, and it is barely possible that he mistook me for a single woman, for his attentions were rather pronounced till I introduced my husband prominently into conversation. After that he seemed more attracted by Ellen Gray. Mary cried straight through the ceremony. In fact, I imagine she cried straight through the engagement, for her eyes looked wept out and had scarlet rims, and she was as white as her veil, in fact whiter, for that was made of a beautiful part of Venice, and was just a trifle yellowish. Everybody cried. Her mother and sister sobbed aloud, so did several maiden aunts and a grandmother or two and a few cousins. The church resounded with gurgles and gasps, like a great deal of bath-water running out of an ill-constructed tub. Mr. Silver also wept, as a businessman may, in a series of sniffs interdispersed with silk handkerchief. You know the kind. Altogether it was a most cheerless affair. I seemed to be the only person present who was not in tears, but I really didn't see anything to cry about, so far as I was concerned, though I felt very hard-hearted. I had to go alone, for Deniston was in New York. I got to the church rather early, and my new spring bonnet, which is a superior one, seemed to impress the ushers, so they put me in a very distinguished front pew all by myself. I bore my honors meekly, and found them quite agreeable, in fact. You know, I always did like to be made much of. So you can imagine my disgust when presently three of the stoutest ladies you ever saw came sailing up the aisle, and prepared to invade my pew. Please move up, madam, said the fattest of all, who wore a wonderful yellow hat. But I was not raised at hills over for nothing, and remembering the success of our little ruse on the railroad train long ago, I stepped out into the aisle, and with my sweetest smile made room for them to pass. Perhaps I would better keep the seat next door, I murmured to the yellow lady, in case an attack should come on. An attack? she repeated in an accent of alarm. She whispered to the others, all three eyed me suspiciously, while I stood looking as pensive and suffering as I could. Then, after confabulating together for a little, they all swept into the seat behind mine, and I heard them speculating in low tones as to whether it was epilepsy or catalepsy or convulsions that I was subject to. I presume they made signs to all other people who came in to stay clear of the lady with fits, for nobody invaded my privacy, and I sat in lonely splendor with a pew to myself, and was very comfortable indeed. 
Mary's dress was white satin and a great deal of point lace with pearl persimmon tree, and she wore a pair of diamond earrings, which her father gave her, and a bouquet almost but not quite as large, which was the gift of the bridegroom. He has a nice face, and I think Mary Silver will be happy with him, much happier than with her rather dismal family, though his salary is only fifteen hundred a year, and a pearl persimmon tree, I believe, quite unknown and useless in the Hosaic region. She had loads of the most beautiful presents you ever saw, all the silvers are rolling in riches you know one little thing made me laugh for it was so like her when the clergyman said mary will thou take this man to thy bewedded husband i distinctly saw her put her fingers over her mouth in the old frightened way it was only for a second and after that i rather think mr strothers held her hand tight for fear she might do it again she sent her love to you katie what sort of a gown are you going to have by the way i have kept the best news to the last which is that deniston has at last given way and we are going to move into town in october we have taken a little house in west cedar street it is quite small and very dingy and i presume inconvenient but already i love it to distraction and i feel as if i should sit up all night for the first months to enjoy the sensation of being no longer the torrid thing a resident of the suburbs i hunt the paper shops and collect samples of odd and occult pattern and compare them with carpets and am altogether in my element only longing for the time to come when i may put together my pots and pans and betake me across the mill dam meanwhile rosalind is living in a state of quarantine she is not permitted to speak with any other children or even look out of the window at one for fear she may contract some kind of contagious disease and spoil our beautiful visit to burnet she sends you kisses and so do i and mother and sylvia and deniston and grandmamma particularly desire their love your loving rose red oh cried clover catching katie around the waist and waltzing wildly about the room what a delicious letter what fun are we going to have it seems too good to be true tum-titty tum-titty keep step katie i forgive you for the first time for getting married i never did before really and truly tum-titty i'm so happy i must dance there go my letters said katie as with the last rapid twirl rose many sheeted a pistol and the advice to brides flew right and left there go two of your hairpins clover oh do stop we shall all be in pieces clover brought her gerations to a close by landing her unwilling partner suddenly on the sofa then with a last squeeze and a rapid kiss she began to pick up the scattered letters now read the rest she commanded though anything else will sound flat of the roses here this first said elsie who had taken advantage of the pause to open her own letter it is from Cecy, and she says she is coming to spend a month with her mother on purpose of being here for katie's wedding she sends heaps of love to you katie and says she only hopes that mr worthington will prove as perfectly satisfactory in all respects as her own dear sylvester my gracious i should hope he would put in clover who was still in the wildest spirits what a dear old goose Cecy is i never hankered in the least for sylvester's lack did you katie certainly not it would be a most improper proceeding if i had replied katie with a laugh whom do you think this letter is from girls do listen to it it's written by that old nice mr allen beach whom we met in london don't you recollect my telling you about him my dear miss carr our friends in harley street have told me a piece of news concerning you which came to them lately in a letter from mrs ash and i hope you will permit me to offer you my most sincere congratulations and good wishes i recollect meeting lieutenant washington when he was here two years ago and liking him very much one is always glad in a foreign land to be able to show so good a specimen of one's young countryman as he affords not that england need be counted as a foreign country by any american and least of all by myself 
who have found it a true home for so many years as a little souvenir of our week of sightseeing together of which i retain the most agreeable remembrances i have sent you by my friends the sawyers who sail for america shortly a copy of hare's walks in london which a young protege of mine has for the past year been illustrating with photographs of the many curious old buildings described you took so much interest in them well here that i hope you may like to see them again will you please accept with it my most cordial wishes for your future and believe me very faithfully your friend ellen beach what a nice letter said clover isn't it replied katie with shining eyes what a thing it is to be a gentleman and to know how to say and do things in the right way i am so surprised and pleased that mr beach should remember me i never supposed he would he sees so many people in london all the time and it is quite a long time since we were there nearly two years was your letter from mrs inches john yes and mamma marian sends you her love and there is a present coming by express for you some sort of book with a hard name i can scarcely make it out the rue something something of omar k k anyway it's a book and she hopes you will read emerson's essay on friendship over before you are married because it's a helpful utterance and adjusts the mind to mutual conditions first and one timothy two eleven muttered clover well katie dear what next what are you loving at you will never guess i am sure this is a letter from miss jane and she has made me this pincushion the pincushion was a familiar type two circles of pasteboard covered with grey silk neatly overhanded together and stuck with a row of closely fitting pins miss jane's note ran as follows hills over april twenty first dear katie i hear from mrs nipson that you are to be married shortly and i want to say that you have my best wishes for your future i think a man ought to be happy who has you for a wife i only hope the one you have chosen is worthy of you probably he isn't but perhaps you won't find it out life is not a problem for most of us may you solve it satisfactorily to yourself and others i have nothing to send you but my good wishes and a few pins they are not an unlucky present i believe as sisters are said to be remember me to your sister and believe me to be with true regard yours jane a banks dear me is that her name cried clover i always supposed she was baptized miss jane it never occurred to me that she had any other title what appropriate initials how she used to j b with us now clovy that's not kind it's a very nice note indeed and i am touched by it it's a beautiful compliment to say that the man ought to be happy who has got me i think i never supposed that miss jane could pay a compliment or make a joke the touch about the scissors is really jocose for miss jane rose red will shriek over the letter in the particularly rigid pincushion they are both of them so exactly like her dear me only one letter left who is it from katie how fast one does it up one's pleasures but you had a letter yourself surely papa said so what was that you haven't read it to us no for it contains a secret which you are not to hear just yet replied clover brides mustn't ask questions go on with yours mine is from louisa egno quite a long one too it's an age since we heard from her you know ashburn april twenty fourth dear katie your delightful letter and invitation came day before yesterday and thank you for both there is nothing in the world that would please me better than to come to your wedding if it were possible but it simply isn't if you lived in new york or even boston burnet is so dreadfully far off it seems quite inaccessible as kamchatka to a person who like myself has a house to keep and two babies to take care of don't look so alarmed the house is the same you saw when you were here and so is one of the babies the other is a new acquisition just two years old and as great a darling as daisy was at the same age my mother has been really better in health since he came 
but just now she's at the sort of rescue in kentucky and i have my hands full with papa and the children as you can imagine so i can't go off two days journey to a wedding not even yours my dearest old katie i shall think about you all day long on the day when i know which it is and try to imagine just how everything looks and yet i don't find it quite easy for somehow i fancy that your wedding will be a little different from the common run you always were different from other people to me you know you and clover and i love you so much and always shall papa has taken a kit-kat portrait of me in oils and a blue dress which he thinks is like and which i am going to send you as soon as it comes home from the framers i hope you will like it a little for my sake dear katie i send so much love with it i have only seen the pages in the streets since they came from europe but the last piece of news here is lily's engagement to contenest de conflans he has something to do with the french legation in washington i believe and they crossed in the same steamer i saw him driving with her the other day a little man not handsome and very dark i do not know when they are to be married your cousin clarence is in colorado with two kisses apiece and a great hug for you katie i am always your affectionate friend louisa dear me said the insatiable clover is that the very last i wish we had another mail and twelve more letters coming in at once what a blessed institution the post office is End of chapter two recording by Ellie october two thousand nine